but Kinley Wright. Breaks a tackle, touchdown, touchdown. That's five for Chris Brown. The defense of Tomlinson. Colorado is going to the NCAA tournament. Stewart with time. Let's it go. He's got three people down there. The ball's up in the air. Caught. Touchdown. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Manscaped. I'm Henry Chisholm, and today we're going through all of the stuff that we kind of missed with uh, the assistant coaches' interviews this week. Um, as well as talking to Carl Durrell on Monday. that With, with everything going on, that kind of got forgotten in my mind because of all the other conversations we've been having. Um, hopefully you guys enjoyed listening to those. Um, I, I sure enjoyed getting to hear what they had to say. Um, and there are a couple things that we, I really want to cover today. Um, first is... There was a list of players that I've mentioned on here before that came in the page after the depth chart um, when the Buffs sent out their um, notes for like their post-spring notes that were a little bit different this year because there was no spring practice. Um, But that list of players, it was actually two lists of players. The first list was called Players to Watch. Um, and you guys can find that if you're members of the DDMVR, I did like my seven takeaways from the depth chart. Um, and then just threw that at the bottom as a bonus, um, a couple quick thoughts there, but the first list, like I said, players to watch, uh, there are 15 players who are included in that. Um, and a lot of them are guys you'd expect Nate Landman, Mustafa Johnson, Katie Nixon. Um, but also, uh, guys like Jalen Sami were included. Uh, Jaron Mangum is in there, and we'll talk through some of that list, kind of who we expected to see um, and who may have been a surprise, but then there was the second list, which they called Others Looking to Emerge, and so those were the next 14 players, um, I guess, on the roster, so 15 in the first list, 14 in the second, and I thought that one was even more interesting, um, the guys that they expect to kind of break out this year. Uh, you know, that's where Makai Blackman is, who was somebody we expected to see a lot more of last year. Um, you know, Chris Miller, a guy that we've been talking a lot about recently, he's on that list. But there are also some freshmen on the list. Ashad Clayton is there. Jason Harris is there. And Torin Pittman, the safety, all three right there. Um that's kind of an endorsement. I should say there was a note after all of this that said uh, quarterbacks starter will emerge from competition in camp between Brendan Lewis, Tyler Lytle and Sam Neuer. So there you go. Um, They just are not included in any of the list because I think it would have made people upset. And I, I mean, by people, I mean, it's just kind of a bad look to say, for example, Brendan Lewis, you're on this part of the list, while Tyler Lytle, you're on this part of the list, and Sam Neuer, maybe maybe he's the one who's not on any of the lists, and then they go into camp and say, no, guys, this actually is 
a fair, totally open quarterback competition. So I think it was the right move just to not include any of them at all. Um, so yeah, um, let's just run through the takeaways. Um, when you look through that first list, and here is that list, guys to watch. Um, Alex Fontenot, uh, these are all listed in alphabetical order, by the way, so there's no reading into any of that. Alex Fontenot, Mustafa Johnson, Kari Cooch, Nate Landman, Terrence Lang, Jaron Mangum, Katie Nixon, Mark Perry, Darian Rakestraw, Brady Russell, Jalen Sami, William Sherman, Dimitri Stanley, James Stefanow, Carson Wells. Uh, so those are really the guys who at least the coaching staff sees as the foundation of their team going into this season. Um, and there are a couple of things you can read into that. Um, the offensive linemen, we can start there. You have William Sherman. Uh, you have Kari Kuch. That's uh, not as many as you would like to see, um, you know, because there are five starting spots. Um Neither of those guys, I don't know, I guess William Sherman has spot locked up with Kari Cooch being included. I think it's probably pretty safe to say that, you, that he will be one of the starters on that offensive line. So now there's two. Uh, if you look down at this next list, uh, which is others looking to emerge, there's one other offensive lineman included, and that is Frank Phillip, the right tackle in this depth chart because William Sherman moved to left tackle in this depth chart. Um, so, so that's kind of what you have. You have your two tackles, your left guard, um, which I, I think Kari could move to uh, the right guard spot, depending on how things pan out. They list him as left guard. Um, and that leaves two open spots for competition. Um, there were some other surprising things in this depth chart though. Um, Carson Lee stands out being listed as a right guard instead of a center. Josh Gines, another guy who was listed as a center last year, but is now listed as the third left guard. And so those are two guys who I had kind of thought would be competing with um, Colby Purcell and maybe Casey Roddick, um, Kanan Ray, uh, maybe even Kari Cooch as guys who could start at center, um, but any of those other guys would be moving in. So Josh Gines, I had kind of penciled in as the guy who I expected to win that job, and I did not have Kanan Ray winning a job. Um, and so these are kind of the things that I've been battling with, trying to think through what exactly is going to happen. And reading into this list, when you see William Sherman, Kari Cooch, Frank Phillip listed, I do think that that means that it comes down to that center spot, that other guard spot, as where the competition will be. Colby Purcell is a favorite in there. Um, Kanan Ray, like I said, is the other guy listed as a starter. Casey Roddick has, has played quite a bit. Austin Johnson is a guy that they were very high on last year during practice. He's listed as a center. Um, and then you really have Carson Lee and Josh Gines. Um, you know, maybe Chance Lytle slides in. Um, but I think he's probably the other only other one that you could really make a strong case for. And so, yeah, that's what it comes down to is those last two spots likely um, – and I feel good about it. I feel good about this group, uh, especially after talking to Mitch uh, Rodriguez, who you guys heard from if you listened to that full podcast a couple days ago. Um, I like the direction that he'll take them, um, but 
I do think we're starting to get maybe some sort of picture of this offensive line, um, but still a lot of time to change during camp. Um, another interesting group is the receivers. Uh, obviously, Katie Nixon is listed among the players to watch. Dimitri Stanley made that cut as well. So I think, again, pretty safe to say, important pieces of this offense. Um, but then after that is where things get interesting. So you have Daniel Arias listed and the others looking to emerge. I don't think, no, I haven't even read through this whole list. Daniel Arias, Makai Blackman, Ashad Clayton, Frank Phillip, Jason Harris, Chris Miller, Torin Pittman, Naim Rodman, Levante Chenault, Jalen Stryker, Guy Thomas, KJ Trujillo, Josh Watts, and Austin Williams. Um, so, uh, like I was saying with the receivers, you have two on that top list with Nixon and Stanley. Um, the looking to emerge list, you have Daniel Arias and Levante Chenault. Um, as of now, I think it's pretty safe to say that the Buffs expect those to be their top four. Um, and it, it, that's an interesting place for a cutoff to me. I think that they could have included more guys in this list. They could have included, say, uh, Maurice Bell would be a, a name that I... If they had included him over Vontae Chenault, I would not have been surprised at all. Um, and so to see that this is kind of... Maybe not a separating point, but when you put the point here at 29 players, these four receivers make the cut. Um, so that's a little window, and I think it's one of the strongest signs that Vontae Chenault will get to play this year. Speaking of which, I retweeted a picture today um, that maybe some of you have seen, but Brendan Rice just looks massive. Um, he, he's listed 6'2 and a little over 200 pounds, I believe. But when you look at his upper body, there's a lot of muscle. Like that's, that's going to be interesting to see on the field because he doesn't look like a guy who needs to work on his body all that much. I mean, this, when you look at the upper body, you could say like, oh, wow, he kind of looks like Visca. The lower body is much different. I guess that's probably where you would say he needs to build some but that surprised me to see that he has gotten so big since the last time I saw him during football season. Um, so hopefully you guys keep that in mind as well. Um, the running backs, another interesting uh, one. And and you kind of talk through, you can talk yourself into a whole bunch of different narratives here. Um, what I've talked myself into is um, that they felt like they had to... Um, give Jaron some sort of props really um, for, for being a veteran, for having done something on the field, because you'll remember. So in this depth chart, uh, Ashad Clayton is not included because he was not on campus. They have Alex Fontenot listed number one. And then the number two spot is Jaron Mangum or Dion Smith. Um, a bit of a surprise. I think we've talked about this on the podcast, um, but yeah, uh, that's kind of how it's listed. So you'd expect to see Jeremy Mangum and Deion Smith treated similarly in this list, uh, but Jaron Mangum is on the top list, that players to watch list, while uh, we don't see Deion Smith anywhere. Um, so yeah, you see uh, Fontenot and Mangum in the top list, and then Ashad Clayton in that second list. Interesting. Um, doesn't quite line up with the depth chart, 
but I do think that that's kind of fair given that it does look like a three-horse battle for the running back job. Um, and you have two guys who have done something on the field already. And you have a guy who's done nothing, and so looking to emerge makes sense. Um, what else I want to talk about? Brady Russell being included in that top group and not in the second, no other tight ends in the second group. I think that that probably makes sense. Um, that's the entire offense we've talked through already. Uh, how about on the defensive side of the ball where you can look at uh, the defensive line with Mustafa Johnson and Terrence Lang um, and Jalen Sami. So I guess three guys included in the top group. Interestingly, Terrence Lang is listed second to Mustafa Johnson at the defensive end spot on the depth chart. I think we talked about this already, though, and they're going to be rotating a whole bunch of defensive linemen in, and we're going to be seeing a lot of Terrence Lang, especially in the sub packages when both those guys are going to be on the field, and I think both of them will be on the field pretty often this season. Um, and to see Terrence be included in that top list after seeing him on the depth chart listed as a number two I think that's a good sign because that's what we expect out of Terrence. This coaching staff isn't just randomly low on him or something like that. Um, with the linebackers, obviously you have Nate Landman in the top group. At outside linebacker, there's Carson Wells included in the players to watch. And I like that. Um, not somebody we spend a lot of time talking about. Looked really good early in his career. Took a step back last year, at least in terms of production. You know, he, he had the concussion as well that held him out for a while. Um, it was a tough year. But I think this seems like one of those situations where he, he, he is going to come back and be better than he was early in his career. Um, and it might feel like it's kind of out of the blue. Uh, so good to see him included up there as well. Um, with the second group, you have Guy Thomas, who could fit in at inside linebacker, outside linebacker. What do they have him listed here as? I think outside. Yeah, they have him behind Jamar Montgomery as an outside linebacker. Um, he is included, and that is actually it for the linebackers. Um, defensive linemen in the second group, again, you have... Uh, I mean, Jason Harris, I guess, is an outside linebacker, um, but he will likely be used mostly just in pass rush situations if if he sees the field at all because he is a freshman, can't set the standards too high. Um, but then you also have uh, Austin Williams included here. He's tied for the number two job at nose tackle behind Jalen Sami with uh, with a uh, Janaz Jordan. Uh, Janaz Jordan does not make this list. So again, it's just kind of like a little hint maybe at who's in the lead. Also have Naim Rodman included here. This defensive line group is stacked. Um, and then, and then when you look at the secondary, it's even more stacked. Um, in, I, I guess, you know, we've been really high on this secondary, or at least I've been really high on this secondary and only Darian Rakestraw is included in the guys to watch. Um, there are just so many others, you know, Makai Blackman is included, Chris Miller's included, Torin Pittman, the safety as a freshman, is included, uh, Jalen Stryker, KJ Trujillo, um, so many guys on that second list, you only need a few to really pan out, and, and you're in good shape, but it is a reminder looking at this to remember, 
there is only one guy who's gone out there for most of a season and kind of proven himself. Um, so maybe a bit of a reality check, but also to see, I don't know, Torrin Pittman. That's a pretty exciting name to see on this list. Um, so I guess, you know what, honestly, I would have expected Christian Gonzalez over Torrin Pittman here. Um, but we'll see. Neither guy has been on campus. So, um, anything else I wanted to touch on? Um, Josh Watts, the punter looking to emerge. That's fair. He hasn't played it down yet. Um, Tariq Luckett isn't listed in either group, but he's listed as one of the starting cornerbacks. So there we go. Um, next up, we're going to jump into this defense because after talking to Tyson Summers and letting you guys hear about some of the, I don't know, complicated things are happening. He did not like when I called it complicated. So not complicated, but um, when you hear the conversations about how the defense works, how he's thinking about the defense, that conversation about Mark Perry and why that star position is so important, we're going to dig into how exactly this defense works. And we've kind of talked about this in the past, but I think it's just kind of a good time for a deep dive into what the Buffs are actually doing out there, especially now that we know that it really won't be changing all that much, um, except for a couple tweaks, and we can talk about those. But first, I want to tell you about Breckenridge Brewery, and also I want to tell you that I'm going to be putting down some Breckenridge beers tonight, and I'm really excited about it. I'm headed over to the DMVR bar in about an hour. I'll probably be there, this is Friday, by the way, until like 9 or 10. I mean, you know how it goes. It could be all night. Um, but the plan is to drink a lot of Breckenridge beers. Um, I did, hopefully I'll see a couple of you there. I tweeted out earlier, but, uh, yeah, um, great beers, so many different kinds, all such great values. If you, uh, are hungry, you can hit up the farmhouse at Breckenridge Brewery. Um, they have curbside delivery or curbside pickup and delivery still. Uh, if you use the code DMVR, you can get $5 off your meal. Also, if you're on the website ordering some food, check out the Breck Brew locator as well. It'll tell you all the different places where you can find whatever Breckenridge beer you want to try. Um, you know, local grocery stores, also uh, Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits, another great option if you're south of Denver. So yeah, take advantage of that. Um, also want to tell you about the World Golf Tour, especially because we are about to host the first major of the DNVR golf circuit. Um, I'm really excited. It's the first like 18 holes. Everybody plays. It's going to be competitive. It's the DNVR open. And uh, if you guys want to join in, we're playing WGT World Golf Tour. It's the most popular golf video game in the world. You get on your phone, on your iPad. I think you might be able to play it like in a browser or on a computer, maybe download on your computer, something like that. So there's a way for you to play and it's a lot of fun. We're all playing. Uh, if, if you do download the game, um, go to the clubhouse section and join the DNVR clubhouse. That's where we're hosting all the tournaments. Um, you guys may see like the scoreboard being tweeted out and the graphics, um, from the gaming account. Um, it's a lot of fun. We've been having a lot of fun. You can go to dnvrgolf.com to get all set up and I hope you do. I don't think, I don't think you have to be a member to join. No, you definitely don't. Uh, so, so join. Okay. Um, 
this defense. So the reason I want to talk about it again is because we had a chance to hear from Tyson Summers what's going to look different, um, what went well, what didn't go well, what took time, and now I just kind of want to go back to like the first step and explain. So so the defense was developed back in the 90s, the mid-90s, by Bill Belichick when he was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns um, and by Nick Saban when he was Bill Belichick's defensive coordinator with the Browns. So they worked together and came up with this idea. And the reason that it happened was, so that Browns team was pretty good. They were 13-5, and but three of their losses came against the Steelers, two in the regular season, one in the playoffs. Um, They realized that what they were doing defensively didn't work because they were keeping two safeties at the back of the defense, and the Steelers could run all over them because the Steelers would have a fullback and a tight end, and the personnel just didn't work. They were outnumbered in the box. So, thinking about football, um, let's just kind of talk in broad terms here. So, you have two safeties deep, and you're struggling to stop the run. What do you do? You move one safety up into the box. Now, you only have one deep safety now, so you're kind of limited in what you can do in coverage. You can essentially play a cover one defense or a cover three defense. A cover one defense is your one safety high, and then you have five other guys who are um, all playing man coverage underneath, and then the rest are run defenders. So it loads up the box. It's good against the run because you have the extra guy up there. The problem is if your cornerbacks aren't as good as the receivers or tight ends or whoever they're going up against, you're going to get beat. And that is not good. (laughs) And so unless you really have those corners, that just doesn't work because you're going to get beat or even your linebackers have to be able to cover all that kind of stuff. Um, And so they threw that out. And so then you you realize that you want to have single high coverage. You want to have that one safety back there so you can have the other safety in the box, have the extra run defender. That means you can't play cover one like we just talked about. So you uh, look at the cover three defense. So like the cover one gets its name from the one safety at the back of the defense. There are actually three defenders at the back of the defense in a cover three. You have your typically your free safety in the middle of the defense, like deep downfield, making sure nobody does anything there. Uh, Then you have your outside cornerbacks lined up on the boundary. Those guys drop back to be like outside of that free safety. So you have three deep zones, cornerback, uh, safety, and then cornerback. In front of them, you have your slot defenders that kind of bump out and fill out toward the sideline at that like lower level of the defense. And then your linebackers, you'll have two linebackers in there who are also playing those two middle zones. Uh, and then four guys rushing, of course. Um, so it's basically like four zones in front, then three zones in behind. The problem there is that if you you have four receivers all running deep routes. There will only be three defenders back there. So if you're the offense, you have guys running up each sideline. That's two of them, um, one on each sideline. Uh, that pulls those corners out wide. That opens up uh, the middle of the field where you only have one defender. And that's a whole bunch of space um, for your two guys. Maybe one's a tight end, one's a slot receiver. Maybe two are, or maybe both are slots. Maybe both are tight ends. But whoever's lined up is that second most outside receiver um, on both sides, there'll be two of them running up with one safety, trying to pick one of them. Cause you really can't defend both. Um, and that's why that's the problem with the cover three defense. So then they realized they couldn't just run a cover three. 
And where most coaches would have said, oh, look, there goes all of our defensive options. I guess we're going to have to pick something that doesn't work perfectly. Bill Belichick and Nick Saban sat down and realized, okay, we can start with this cover three defense, but we're going to have to make some changes. And they added route matching to it. So it's really a cover three match defense because they're matching the routes of the receivers. Um, And this is the first time it's ever been done, and now it's just a staple. But the way it works is your outside cornerbacks, they will play man coverage on the furthest outside receiver unless that receiver within the first five yards of his route breaks inside. If he breaks inside, then they just keep dropping back to the zone. They take a peek at the next most outside receiver, see if that's coming toward him. Um, And the reason they let that receiver go inside is because that's where your help is. You have your free safety in the middle of the field who's not responsible for anybody. You're also going to wind up, um, if you do the math, uh, with with one of those linebackers in the side on the inside uh, who's free to help there. Um, sometimes it's both, and it's both if the offense keeps the running back in. Then you have one extra guy. So essentially, because you've set up your defense, have the strength in the middle, you can let those guys run inside. That t- means that these next inside corners, these let's just call them slot corners, let's say there's slot receivers on both sides, those slot corners are also playing man coverage. So they could wind up going all the way down the seam covering that receiver. So that takes away the four verticals. That means you can't get beat. Um, now, it's the same thing where they do that and then they have all sorts of different reads. Their first read is... Uh, their their receiver that they're on if they just run downfield or they break outside that's just man coverage if they break inside then they call under so the linebackers know it's coming then if they've gotten under call from the outside corner that means that they take this receiver that was lined up outside but is now moving toward the inside of the field and defend him um, if that's not happening, then they look to the the running back, or maybe there's a third receiver to that side, whoever the number three is. And so, so there's all these different reads, and there's so many different little pieces um, that change how this defense works. So, I mean, there's even stuff like how, where is the ball lined up? There's a check for that because... In some cases, the outside corner will try to push their receiver toward the middle of the field. Sometimes they'll try to push him outside, and it's all just based on the spacing. So there's those checks. Uh, There's checks of, um, oh, there's a rip-liz call. Uh, Rip, R, right, liz, L, left. So rip is right, liz is left, and that says which safety is dropping down into the box. The right safety, the left safety. And then everybody knows that their assignment is bumped one spot to the left or right, whether they're covering the the middle, the outside, all that kind of stuff. And it really does get complex. Um, but that is the base defense for the Buffs. And Tyson Summers said that he is cutting out, or has cut out since the start of last season, 40% of the playbook because they want to get better at their base defense, which is this. And where I'm going here is that uh, Chris Miller is moving to strong safety. Now, More often than not, it'll be the strong safety, not the free safety who drops into the box. Kind of playing a second star position, um, but on the other side of the field typically. Well, sometimes the same. But but the the point is, uh, he is now one of those slot defenders. This is the, the toughest part of the defense. The toughest thing for the defense is taking away those those seams 
And that means that you want to have really good players at those positions. That's why slot corners are, in this defense, maybe even more valuable than your outside corners because it's a lot easier job for the outside corners. When you think about all the reads that these inside guys have to do, including the linebackers, so, you know, the outside guys, those cornerbacks, they're making that read. Is he breaking inside? If yes, then you drop. If no, then you play man coverage. Once you move one spot inside, then all of a sudden you could have somebody who's coming in from the inside. Or the the next most dangerous concept against a cover three, or particularly against a cover three match, is a pull concept where the slot receiver runs downfield and the outside receiver runs like a comeback. And so that outside corner is supposed to drop, that slot corner is supposed to also run with that. So you have two deep defenders, you have this receiver in here short. But then there are different ways you can defend it depending on a bunch of different things. The, a lot of the time, the pressure's on that slot corner to make a play by, as soon as that switch happens, crashing down, trying to jump that route in front of that outside receiver. Um, and again, essentially the two toughest plays to defend are the two plays that your slot defenders are responsible for defending. That's what makes them so important to the defense. And that's why it's so big that Chris Miller is being moved to safety, and they're talking about playing him at the star. And what I think that likely means is that Mark Perry's obviously the star on one side, but when you go to a dime defense, you're probably going to have two safeties deep because there won't be much of a running threat. So this is passing downs, third and 13. You don't need to worry about having a safety in the box. You can play with those two deep safeties. I wouldn't be surprised if Mark Perry um, becomes your uh, essentially a cover linebacker, that money position, while you have uh, Chris Miller take the star position so you keep him up close to the line of scrimmage instead of dropping deep in one of those deep zones as a safety, you keep him again in these high leverage situations where he can make an impact on the game. And so when they talk through the different positions he'll play, because it has been said that they expect to see him star, that he can play cornerback, that he's listed right now as a starting strong safety. That's a, that's obviously a really important position. And they're saying a lot of good things about him. And I think that's why they're putting him there. That's kind of them putting their money where their mouth is, saying that they kind of expect him to break out this year. You've seen his name all over the place. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of a fun trip. Um, but, again, that cover three match that Saban and Belichick came up with and, you know, the buffs are running. I mean, that's such a – I mean, Demetrius Martin, the the one of the buff secondary coaches, said that he ran – he was in that defense – um, way back in the day, but it's changed so much since then. So it's slowly developing and the buffs might have different terminology or have tweaked some people's responsibilities or maybe five yards is six yards or whatever. Um, but for the most part, that's how that cover three match, which is their kind of base coverage works. Um, now they're also saying they're going to be throwing more pressure in there, be more multiple up front, um, which I really like. And so all that changes when you blitz one of those slot defenders then everything shifts behind it. But that's kind of the bread and butter here of this Buffs defense. And Mark Perry and Chris Miller seem to be the trigger guys. Or even, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a situation where Makai Blackman comes in. And so you really have Makai Blackman, Chris Miller as your two slot defenders. And again, this is the dime package. 
You then have Nate Landman and uh, Mark Perry inside them. Oh, I'm running out of players. Uh, then you probably have <laughs> you probably have Rakestraw deep. Your two corners outside. I mean, there's just so many different ways that you could align. And again, when we're talking about the different positions, a lot of it has to do with how that changes their responsibilities in this base defense. Um, and the fact that they're emphasizing playing this base defense more. And Tyson Summers here, I have the, I have the quote pulled up. Um, he was talking about cutting out so much of the playbook and said, a lot of that is because we want to play with fundamentals and focus, and we want to be really good at our base defense. Well, to be really good at it, you put the players you think are your best players in the most important positions. And again, this is just on the coverage side, and you can make arguments for like guys up front, your pass rushers. You know, Nate Landman, as we talked about, and I I'm not sure if I finished this point. You know, those outside corners, those jobs are a little more simple compared to the other guys because they're really only reading one player and then maybe they're peeking inside if that player isn't there. Um, as you move in that slot corner, then he has to call, look for that under inside. As you move in even more, then you have those linebackers who have two guys who can cover the inside. You could have guys coming from the other side. And guess what? Those are your run stoppers too. That's why I think Nate Landman may have been not in over his head because he really did seem to figure things out, especially late in the season. But, you know, why it was harder for him to be a guy who could be teaching other guys the defense just because there are so many pieces. And again, this is just that base cover three match. Then you start getting into, oh, we got to throw some man at him. We got a blitz. We need zone blitz. We need man blitzes. We need that cover six. That cover seven is kind of Nick Saban's uh, dime look, their primary dime look. It's that cover three match typically, and they flip to cover seven when they need um, more coverage than normal. Um, again, that's all kind of complicated stuff. Luckily, in the offseason, we can dig into this because I've, I don't know. The chess match of football is like, it's half of it. It's half of it. What can the coaches do to put their players in the right decision or right situation? And then can the players make the right decisions to make it all work out? Or, you know, if you have somebody like LaVisca Chenault, how much can he do to take you past what should happen? You know, it's not just everybody go to your job. It's do your job. Plus, if you can break a tackle, then that's massive. Um, I miss sports. You know what? I think that's going to do it for today. Um, if you guys want to read my thoughts on this, you can go to thednbr.com because I've written something kind of similar. But... uh you know, I really am high on this defense. I really am high because they seem to have figured things out. <sighs> just, I just want football season to be here. Okay, like I said, that's going to do it for today. Uh, come back tomorrow. Um, I'm not really sure exactly what we'll talk about, um, but I do know one of the things we'll talk about is a, a story from The Athletic with Stuart Mandel, who I think they actually... <laughs> They they went to uh, um, some TV rights marketing firm. I don't understand what they all do. I th they'd probably call themselves like uh, consultants, whatever. But but they projected what all of the payouts from all the conferences will be like uh, over the next ten years or so. And uh, that's important because I mean, right now everybody is going through this. I mean, not everybody is going to see a budget shortfall, but a lot of schools are and a lot of conferences are because of uh, the coronavirus and all that kind of stuff. But so many of the TV deals are going to be redone in the next four or five years. 
And uh, that's going to reshape all sorts of things. And so they went through and kind of projected what they see happening. And I mean, right now, I didn't want to get into this today, but here we are. The the buffs, uh, the buffs right now, their budget's right around $60 million per year. Um, that's their, or actually, no, that's not their budget. That's their total revenues, usually right around there. So usually their budget is right around there too, but, uh, about 60 million, about 30, 31 million of that is given to them from the pack 12 by 2029. That number is supposed to be about 60 million. That's a lot more money. Um, what do the buffs do with an extra $30 million a year? Well, obviously there's inflation. There's going to be all sorts of stuff. Um, but that jump, I mean, the biggest jump on the way to 60 million is kind of in that 2023 to 2024 to 2025 to 2026. Because when that new TV deal comes in and the conference is going to make a lot more money, they'll probably kind of stagger those payouts and kind of work it on a scale to make them bigger. But, uh, We'll dig into all of that tomorrow. Um, so yeah, you know that's uh, exciting stuff. That sixty million is more than any conference is paying out right now. So there's there's just so much room for the Pac-12 to get back into shape. But yeah, we'll talk about that tomorrow. We'll probably talk about some other stuff too. Oh, probably some recruiting stuff. We need to dig into that. But uh, thanks for listening. Leave your questions. I will talk about anything you want me to talk about. So just throw those questions in the post for today's show at thedmvr.com and we can get to those tomorrow. Okay, uh, see you then. I think they like my Colorado swag Cause when I'm in it play I don't really, I don't really know just how to act And when I'm in it go You know I'm acting bad Holly get a bus with my Colorado swag My Colorado swag My Colorado swag I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag My Colorado swag My Colorado swag Might not swear, I think they like my Colorado swag My Colorado swag yeah. is pushing 180 Pad competence and see you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy yeah. and voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. Oh. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging as the crowd do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hit you. Hey, hey, you on your own now. Why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Uh-huh. And we ain't playing with you. You can get it anytime. It started at the scrimmage. We gon' win it at the last. In the middle of the ring, throwing blows, knocking down team after team. They like my Colorado swag, cause when I'm in it, play. I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it, go. You know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag, my Colorado swag. Man, I swear I think they like my Colorado. Have you ever seen a round? I'm bold in Colorado. Buffalo is what I am. All the teams come and follow. When I start, hit the field. The opposing crowd swallow. Cause they know I'm about to kill. He gon' feel that tomorrow. Whole team full of warriors. Got me feeling tribal. Big 12, here we come. We ain't worried about arrival. If you want it, come and get it. We'll wait for your arrival. When you hit this frozen field, man, it's all about survival. Why you make it, why you make it? Yeah, you better bring your Bible. Get them bust, mess them up, we say we got them If we don't, then we'll get